Hello, welcome everybody back to the Handmaid's Podcast. We are doing a recap of episode one through three. Um, get you reacquainted with season one before we dive into season two, starting April 25th. My name's Donna. I'm the co-host and producer here. And with me today, I have two lovely co-hosts, co-panelists, Kay Megan <laughs> Washington and uh, Eunice Cruz Ferguson. So, um, hi, Kay. Nice welcome back. Hi. Good to see you. Good to see you. So, it's the hyphen episode, I guess. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just remind everybody a little bit about yourself, Kay. Sure. Um, I am a an actor and singer mostly in the Baltimore metro kind of area. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I uh, run a conflict resolution program for the Maryland Department of Agriculture. So, yeah, those things seem like they couldn't be any further apart, but <laughs> <laughs> life doesn't get too boring, which is good. Awesome. And nice. Eunissa? Yes, um, I am Eunissa. I am a dancer and actor. Um, I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, but I do a lot of commuting between Baltimore, D.C., and New York. Um, I also am a stylist for Express, so hit me up if you want to come awesome. and try on some clothes yes. at the clothing store. Um, and yeah, I just do a lot of dancing um, within the DMV a lot and a lot of auditions around the, um, the upper tri-state area as well. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, what was your, uh, how did you come to know The Handmaid's uh, Tale, the show, and all that good stuff? Got it. Um, yeah, so I decided to watch the Golden Globes. I rarely watch award shows. And uh, I noticed that they won two Golden Globes. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I've seen commercials for this. What What is it about? I should get into it. Um, because I wasn't super familiar with Margaret Atwood before learning about the show. Um, so I said, okay, let's see what this is about. So I watched it, and I was very much into it. And I definitely think that it was well-deserved, the honors that they received. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of which, um, you know, starting out The Handmaid's Tale, when the show came out, it was on Hulu, and streaming services have gotten um, lots of good press and good awards, and they've put out some really good uh, television series and movies on these streaming services. And uh, Handmaid's Tale really made a splash at the awards because it was the first time a streaming service got some of these really high prestigious awards. So at the Golden Globes, they won Best Television Series for Drama and uh, Best Performance by an Actress, Elizabeth Moss, who mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yes. And uh, at the Emmy Awards, they uh, won Outstanding Lead Actress by Elizabeth Moss, Outstanding Supporting Actress for uh, Anne Dowd, who plays Aunt Lydia, mm-hmm. Outstanding Directing for a Drama Series for Reed Morano, um, Writing for a Drama Series, Bruce Miller, Outstanding Guest Actress, Alexis Bledel, Outstanding Production Design, Outstanding Cinematography for Colin Watkinson, and Outstanding Drama Series for um, the entire production team, not to mention, Reed Morano also got a very prestigious um, Director's Guild Award for her work, which is really important, I think, all of us women sitting here mm-hmm. and uh, women directors. For sure. yes. Um, and uh, it's an interesting turnaround also, because when this show came out, it was very apt. It was very allegorical to what was happening. And since then, there's been an upswell in the Me Too movement, which is an attachment of everything that's happened in sort of uh, what I personally call like the resistance to everything Mm -hmm. that is um sort of xenophobic and homophobic and um bigotry and uh misogyny yeah misogyny and and all the stuff that harvey weinstein came out and i mean just Mm -hmm. the list goes on like so much has happened since the show that definitely can correlate and the direction we've taken 
since the show has aired, I think is also important because it was things were looking real bleak when the show first yes. aired. And um, things are still tough. There definitely are. We'll definitely, the show doesn't sugarcoat anything, and I think neither should we. The sh- it, things are still real tough out there, but I feel there's an upswell of people who are uh, really taking it upon themselves to to do what they can in order to, to make the situation better. Um, so I think it's uh, cool that we get to revisit this a little bit after all of those things have happened um, since season one has aired and when most people have watched it. I don't know, a lot of people are probably going to binge watch it too right before season two comes out. <laughs> probably. I mean, that's, that's what I did. Come in. Yes. Yeah. So. And Kay, um, you know, remind me again, you know, how you came to Handmaid's Tale and Margaret Atwood, if you were familiar with her, I don't recall. Well, um, I was around when the book originally came out. Um, so I read it uh, when I was in school. Um not as part of a class or anything, um, but more just, you know, it was out and people were talking about it. And so I got it um, and was just horrified by the possibility um, that something like this could actually happen um, because it, within the book, they don't make it terribly clear where Gilead is mm-hmm. initially. And it slowly becomes clear that it is somewhere um, in North America. Yeah. And, Things um, get real. <laughs> and, and not, you know, thousands of years into the future, but um, relatively soon. Mm-hmm. Um from the early eighties, you know, when the, when the book originally came out. So, um, that was a little scary Mm -hmm. and there were some things going on at that point in time as well that were not marvelous. Um, so just the, the concept of, of that was, was frightening. Um, and they, they did try to make a movie out of, well, they did in fact make a movie out of it. Um, not too long after it came out, it wasn't terribly successful and mm-hmm. honestly, it wasn't very well done. There was mm-hmm. a lot of, um, glossing over of a lot of the things that, that happened in the book. So I was a little concerned, um, about it's a, somebody trying it again mm-hmm. and B it's being a series, um, yeah. and how that was, I mean, that, that would allow for more, um, spinning out of the story and, and being able to get into more detail about things. But I, I was really concerned about how this was going to work. And I had only ever seen Elizabeth Moss on Mad Men and she was great, but that's a very different part. Very true. And so, um, I'm, I'm really very happy that it turned out the way that it turned out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the three episodes that we're talking about are actually probably closest to the book yeah. in a lot of ways. So, um, so that was cool. That was a good way to yeah. bring thing, bring those of us who had actually read the book in <laughs> yeah. um, by saying, okay, see, all that stuff that you were worried we were going to cut out, we're not cutting it out. Yeah. It's here. It's there. So It's um, definitely there. So that's sort of how I got into that. Awesome. Yeah, I remember reading the book when I was pretty young and uh, it feeling really foreign. I'm like, what is this? It's never going to happen. <laughs> sort of that feeling and so now we're here and now we're scared some of these things can happen so 
in episode one through three, you're totally right, Kay, in that um, we get a lot from the source material and rewatching it again very recently, it really um, puts out all the language and the terminology that's super important in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really introduces you into this very structured world and the tone and the gravity of what is happening in the world. Um, so in the very beginning, first scene, Alfred is driving, running away with uh, her husband and her daughter in the car, and they sort of spin out and run in the woods, and uh, Hannah gets like ripped from her, which is super tragic, and uh, we don't know what's happened to Luke. He, she assumes that he's been killed. Um, so that's really how we begin the series. It's just really full of terror, and they're running from something, and it's something bad enough that um, you know their their whole family is sort of on the road, and if you're not familiar with the series, you really don't know from what. And uh, we cut to Alfred as a handmaid, um, and she talks about sort of different escapes. You know how handmaids have been known to, you know, try to escape in other ways other than running away. And uh, in the book, and I think they talk about it in the series much later on, that there was a previous handmaid in that particular house that. Uh, hung herself, which is how she came to be with the Waterfords, as that previous handmaid uh, died. And uh, she says a lot of things are forbidden now, and then so the rest of the episode is really just an extrapolation of what are the rules in this world? What are the rules that we're abiding by? Um, And Alfred and Serena, they first meet, and it was such a joy, actually, to watch this again and just reacquainting myself with Serena Joy because I think by the end of the series you have a lot of empathy for her mm-hmm. and in the beginning yes. of the series you're like god she's really mean yeah <laughs> and uh one of my favorite lines uh she talks about a handmaid like training a dog only not a very smart one <laughs> so you're like really super clear like Serena Joy tell me how you really feel like there's no you know Serena no always hurts. no Serena always tells you what's on her mind, for sure, how how she feels. Um, We meet Commander Waterford, and uh, if uh, Serena's really clear, if I get trouble, I'll give trouble back. So there's, uh, I think we also might have discussed this in season one, that, you know, Serena Joy in the book is much older, and that they've Mm -hmm. consciously made a choice to make her very young in the series. So there is, like, this immediate rivalry where she still very feels very close to her husband whereas in the book i feel like she was really removed from her husband they were they were rather older mm-hmm. um in the book and um there was a, a certain sense of, of futility mm-hmm. um that these people are not mm-hmm. going to get pregnant yeah. on their own and that's why they have to bring someone in um, so you weren't sure whether they had not had children because of age or whether they um, had not had children because of other things. In the show, they're still relatively, you know, he's in his 40s, I guess, mm-hmm. and she's you know, somewhere in her 30s. So they're still relatively young and vital, and yet they have no children. Right. And so it's a, a whole different... A whole different ballgame in terms of, like, yeah, power. For and sure. Yeah. Uh, we meet Martha, uh, which uh, her name is Rita, but they're mm-hmm. all called Martha's kind of the people who take care of the house and do all the cooking and cleaning. Um, and I always thought this was interesting that they're making the bread from scratch. It's what they insisted on. 
um, the traditional values. It's what they fought for. And so I think in our world, uh, present day traditional values come up a lot in terms of mm -hmm. um, certain subsects of people who push those things and whether they really serve everyone. And I think the point is, is that they don't. Right. The point is the traditional values. Um, we also meet Nick, who's the commander's driver, who I'm going to be real clear right now, I'm obsessed with Nick Mangella. Likewise. <laughs> He's so dreamy. And <laughs> I have a huge crush on him. Mm -hmm. And right away you get their chemistry. There's like a lot of witty banter between Alfred and Nick. And uh, is... Uh, she worries, though, if he's a spy, and all the spies in this world are called eyes. Right. Um, then we meet off Glenn. We, we meet everybody in this first episode, um, and uh, they go together in pairs because they say, you know, really, their real purpose is to spy on each other. So you really can't trust anyone in this world. You don't have any respite of any comfort. You know, you're always on your toes. And uh, she, they have these very scripted conversations, and we get a lot of the language of the praised bee and under his eye. And um, they pass by a school, and she has a flashback to her family. So we know that that's a really present motivator for her very early on. And then they go into loaves and fishes, and they gossip with other handmaids. And um, we find out that most people know Commander Waterford, who is Alfred's commander, is really high up. Um, and Loaves and Fishes is kind of one of my favorite scenes because it's like a, it's like a grocery store. I was mm. always imagined like a little village with like little tiny shops. Right. Um, but no, it's a grocery store. Right. It's <laughs> just, that, yeah. It's just a grocery store with no words anywhere. No in words. It. No words. Mm -hmm. Not a whole lot of options of food. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oranges. Yeah. That was really exciting. The yeah, oranges. For sure. And uh, we get that reading is sort of taboo. Women are not allowed to read. Right. We get that piece from them. And then afterwards, they go to the wall, which I think uh, is one of the first times we get confronted by something very brutal in this world and very real and present in, uh, in Gilead. Um, and there's a priest, a doctor, and a gay man. And the priest, um, I think, confuses a lot of people because you're like, well, isn't this a religious society? I'm like, well, no, this is a very religious, extremist, militant dictatorship evangelical yeah yes. so anything that deviates from it and it from the looks of it, it's obviously like a catholic priest by mm -hmm. the garb um and a doctor and uh gay man so we're very clear from the outset of like what the the values of this very militaristic society is i don't know what did you guys what did you feel when you first saw that wall and you're like oh shit i was pretty <laughs> uncomfortable yeah um i actually kept rewinding it because I remember um, the camera was panning and I took a couple of looks at it um, and I tried to imagine what I personally would feel if I that's something that I had to see every time I went on a walk or mm -hmm. you know um, I wondered if any of them had witnessed you know prior to because it's not in the story if any of them had witnessed it or like who in the story actually knew them like if they did anything wrong you know aside from you know what they who they actually already are. Um, but yeah, for me that it was, it was just really hard to watch that. Um, I found myself shaking my head every yeah. time they walked past the wall because I like, I pray that that never happens here mm -hmm. at least because I'm, I'm sure in many areas of the world, 
it happens because, mm-hmm. you know, um, there are people that, you know, dictate their societies in a totalitarian way. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's chilling. Very chilling. Um, was so almost equally as chilling was how detached um, they were. Yes. yes. And I can understand that because you kind of have to be. You can't get wrought up about this every single day if this is happening all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. You'll because you'll lose it. You, just, you don't have any, you, you don't have the resources for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what was it that, that, that Alfred said? It was something along the lines of, you know, um, a priest, a, a priest, a doctor, and a gay man. I think I remember this joke. Right. Um, you know, so uh, you have to have some level of detachment away from that. And yeah, I mean, it's not something that we've ever experienced in that sense, but how often do we detach ourselves from things that are brutal or uncomfortable in our current environment? Yeah, very true. You we know, definitely do. Um, very recently, I mean, we're recording this on uh, Monday, February 19th. So um, Parkville, Florida just happened. Right. And um, there's varying statistics out there. I didn't get super clear about how many exactly uh, shootings at a school uh, happened so far in 2018. However, I felt, you know, I gotten, I don't want to say pretty good, but a certain routine you get of hearing some really awful things and sort of processing and digesting and moving on. And for some reason, you know, the incident that happened on, I believe it was Thursday, uh, like finally really got to me. It was like, so it was weird that that particular one got to me really badly and like the other ones before then didn't. Um, So I think it is something of like a, you sort of compartmentalize it and then there's something that happens and you're like, it just overflows and then everything comes out. So I felt very affected by that event. And um, so, yeah, I think when you get desensitized or have to in order to survive, sort of, you know, lock those feelings away in order for your own mental survival. I think it's very present for them in the series. It happens Mm. over and over again about their mental strength. Yeah. Because if they don't, you know, they they won't survive mm-hmm. at all. Um, they'll break just like some of them had, you know, broken Absolutely. over time. After that, we get flashbacks to what's called the Red Center. Um, and uh, Aunt, we meet Aunt Lydia by the uh, incomparable Ann Dowd. Uh, <laughs> so she talks about the uh, she's she's such a complex character and I love her so much. Yeah, I want to hate her character, but I, I can't. Her. Yes, I like so her a lot. Her. She was definitely a true believer. I mean, yes, not, she actually believes everything that comes out of her mouth. Yeah, absolutely. There's no cynicism in there mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. So she talks about the plague of infertility um, and railing against birth control. Um, flashback to Moira and uh, Alfred, whose name is June which we find out is our sort of partying, regular party life. So having flashbacks of this regular life that happened before that all of us can relate to. And sort of the, uh, we go back to the Red Center and there's this really intense slut shaming. So we're really clear about what the values are that they're trying to sort of brainwash these women, like retrain their brains, or at least let them know what is the acceptable values of this culture. And they're told they'll bear children for the wives. So here we're getting to really the crux of the story. Um, 
and we meet Janine, who's played by Madeline Brewer. Uh, and she's kind of rebellious, you know, she's kind of a punk, but then it very swiftly <laughs> and immediately gets punished. Uh, so we see that fear and brutality is really an early player here and how, how they keep everybody oppressed. Um, and one of uh, my favorite uh, chilling lines in this scene is that this will all become ordinary and that someday they'll just, you know, they won't even think that this is strange and that's kind of a really scary thought because you go yeah (laughs) Yeah. you go long enough into any school of thought and you know generations afterward they really won't know what the difference is between what was before it doesn't even have to be generations Mm -hmm. doesn't yeah when you go to the when you go to the airport to get on a plane what's one of the things that they make you do shoes Take your shoes, take your off, shoes off. Take all of the you can off. take all of the the liquids and things out of your bag, and they can't be above a certain size. And we all just know that now. Mm-hmm. And back up ten years, and that was not and the case. none of that was in place. You're right, right. That's Absolutely. a really good example. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> we meet um, Moira and Alfred reunite, sort of in the Red Center. She asks about um, things that have happened. We find out about a character we never meet named Odette, and um, we hear of a thing called Dyke Purges, and um, they labeled her an unwoman and sent to the colony. So those are all really important concepts that um, I believe in the previews for season two we're actually going to get to, which is awesome, because they don't really talk a whole lot about it in um, the book, um, but those are really important because they threaten, they use it as a threat to, to women. Mm-hmm. If you don't behave or if you're barren, if you don't eventually produce children for these commanders, you will become an unwoman, which is, I think, a very interesting term. That if you cannot bear children, you are not or a you woman. Or refuse to do or so. Or refuse to do so. So everything that a woman's identity is in this world becomes around procreation. Yep. Um, and if you can't do that, you get sent to the colonies. Uh, the colonies being these. I guess toxic wastelands, and you clean up toxic waste, and uh, have a really yeah right exactly right. Um, so I'm excited to find out more about that in season two. See some uh, good snippets of that, and uh, they bring back Janine, who was punished, and they took her freaking eye. Yeah, <laughs> I was not expecting that <laughs> at all. I was like, what? I, yeah, it's awful. Um, next we get to the ceremony. So the ceremony is really important because it's extremely ritualistic. Um, and, uh, the handmaid has to take a bath. Um, you see her little ear tag in the bath. She has, um, this little red tag. And, uh, we have a flashback in that scene about, uh, the red center. And Janine is talking about being gang raped. Um, and the victim blaming about how it's her fault and she brought it upon herself and that all of them have to part- participate and call, call this out. And it is really this like brainwashing, you know, of, like retraining these young women to, to feel this way about sexuality, that sexuality is non-existent, that it's really just about procreation and anything mm-hmm. to deal with sexuality is all, um, a woman's fault if it's doesn't go her way, which I think we've worked a lot to move away from in our culture. I think just in the last year, we made great strides Mm -hmm. with the Me Too movement. Every time someone comes out with a a story, instead of 
what used to be true was, you know, oh, well, you know, she must have done something to deserve it or what were the circumstances, yada, yada. And instead, our first response nowadays, I feel like, is to come to that defense and say, you know, this is the situation. We believe her right from the beginning. And I think that's really enlightening. I feel, you know, what are your thoughts on kind of the culture shift that has happened really in the last year? Well, I think it's a shift within a specific segment of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, I don't think it's everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it becomes easy to think that it's everybody because if, if all of your friends and associates think more or less the same way, then it becomes very easy to think that it's a broader spectrum change than I think it is. Because mm-hmm. for every person who is reacting in exactly the way that you're talking about, mm-hmm. there are still people who are saying, well, yeah, but she got a career out of it. Or um, why, why are they coming out with this now? Mm-hmm. Why didn't they tell anybody at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not that bad. That just happens to right. people. That's just a bad date. Yeah. Why why are you complaining about that? You could have left any time. What what's this about? So it um I I think it's good that there's a lot more discussion of these issues even if not everybody agrees. Um because, you know, the the what what tends to make the to allow these things to go on because everybody knew Harvey Weinstein was doing what Harvey Weinstein was doing. Right. I don't mean everybody like out in the public, but everybody in Hollywood knew that that was something that was going on. And it was just one of these, (laughs) oh, well, Harvey, yeah, you know, he just, he grabs people and he, you know, he comes (laughs) on to people and, you know, it's just a thing. It's a a rite of passage that you have to go through, you know, if you're an actress and you're trying to make it in in Hollywood is, you know, you get hit on by Harvey Weinstein. It just happens. Um, But it, what allows that to go on is that nobody talks about it openly. Um, and so I think it's really good that there, that that's something that we're talking about now, right, even if everybody is not on the same page. Right. It's opened the can of worms and I think we've gone in some good directions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I couldn't imagine if like, if people didn't have a voice when it came to this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually know, like off the top of my head, people that feel uncomfortable when people take the time to have conversations about, you know, things that, you know, and uh, culture shifts mm-hmm. um, because they don't want to necessarily deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with how the world is changing, you can't suppress all those thoughts all the time forever. You know, when, yeah. are you, when are you going to talk about it? When are you going to listen to someone else? When are you going to have an open conversation with someone else and like learn from it, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with everything you just said, for yeah. sure. I think it's definitely been a process. I don't think yeah. everyone thing mm-hmm. is peachy keen now, and it won't be for a very long time. I agree. But I think that we've started to, to think about what is the process we go through when these things do happen, and uh, the amount of uh, support that we need to start shifting to people who do come forward with stories or feel you know, these things have happened to them. But it's a really difficult process also. I wish we were a little more respectful and just open. Yeah. You know, to 
to learning to listening. We sometimes we have a tendency to talk too much. Yeah. Um, and not observe and like take in what mm-hmm. someone else is saying. Like I could be listening to you speak, but I could also be like, okay, well next here's my thought. Mm-hmm. And I don't always have to necessarily speak. I can take in what you said and, you know, develop a new thought. Or even if I, if I disagree, that's totally fine. But there's a difference between listening and, like, fully accepting what someone else thinks and feels um, in regards to them, whatever, you know, yeah. um, what have you. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, you're absolutely right about that. I think that um, one of the things that makes that interesting with regard to this show is trying to look at this from the other side of things. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to be completely disgusted and mm-hmm. horrified by all of this because of where we're coming from. But let's say there was a precipitous decline mm-hmm. in birth rates in the way that they showed on that chart. I mean, mm-hmm. just, yep. just fell off. And that, you know, babies were being born um, very ill and dying after mm-hmm. birth or there were stillbirths and miscarriages mm-hmm. all over the place. And, <clears throat> and a baby showing up healthy and living through childhood was an anomaly. Right. What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you don't go this route, but what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, desperate measures sometimes have to be called for under those sorts of circumstances because otherwise what happens is the whole species dies out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you do there? Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a, this is not what I would have chosen. Right. <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah. No. To battle that. But what, what alternatives are there? If, you know, the typical sorts of fertility enhancing things that we've been doing up until now are no longer working. Mm -hmm. I think it becomes clear also in the later episodes that this, the handmaids and um, the procreation is a cog in like the bigger machine. Oh, absolutely. Um, And it becomes really a resource and which makes... The handmaids, not to be crass, I mean, but the 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 handmaids are like the mules of, and so you know this ceremony. They try to make it really, you know, a ceremonial, a ritualistic, and um, they um, like the whole household is there. So Martha and Nick are there, and then Serena's there, and there has to be a knock by the commander, and Serena invites him in, and it's technically her realm at this moment and just so like all these little things to make it like seem that this is doing in service of God because obviously they're you know very religious society in terms of that and they read this the passage of uh, Rachel and Billa of how um, this is really the crux of how what everything is based on the Red Center and how they uh, justify subjugating these women to be handmaids is this passage about how Rachel really wanted a child and she couldn't bear children. So she said, you know, go into um, my maid, 
uh, and uh, she will be a handmaiden to, to bear us a child. So they take that passage from a Bible and take it as like a cornerstone into this whole system. I mean, this is a really vast and really deep system as we find out about these handmaids and how they control them. And that's really the center of of how they justify all of this, whether whatever their reasons are. But this is what they use as a, you know, this is, you know, sanctioned by God. Um, and uh, then we get to the actual ceremony scene where, like, she's in between Serena Joy's legs and they're supposed to signify they're, like, one person. And there's, like, no hand contact, no eye contact. You know, it's very rigid and very cold. They're and, all still dressed. Yeah, and they're all right. still dressed. Yeah. And so it's really nothing about sexuality. It's really just about procreation. Um, and what I appreciate after rewatching the first few episodes is that in this first uh, episode, you really see the psychology of what happens to someone who becomes oppressed and subjugated in this way. Because we see her from being so free and normal like all the rest of us shoved into this position and so we just see and it's what elizabeth moss deserves all the awards she <laughs> just you know she took them all because in these scenes they really crack open about what happens in a person's brain and she does it with like no dialogue and you just see her have a full-blown like nervous breakdown panic attack and so i think it's important that we um see that because sometimes it's just like these things happen and it's horrible but to get really deep and minute in someone's head like that i think is what a cornerstone of what makes the show itself brilliant i agree yeah for sure um we go back to the red center and um we see janine having a breakdown as well um sort of how she gets into sort of her broken state and uh uh Moira. Janine, Janine earned a breakdown, yeah. honestly. <laughs> she, <laughs> that was pretty rough on her. Um, yeah, she, she did. Poor baby. <laughs> Poor baby. I, feel, I really feel bad for her. I love her. She, I think, to see someone so broken so quickly, I think is what was shocking in the first episode. Because you see Offred endure and endure and endure and endure. And you see the opposite of that, which is Janine, yeah. who was so rebellious. So rebellious. They pulled her eye and out. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, that would, that might do it. That might I do mean, it. I mean, you know, she came in. I, 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 I think that was as much a lesson to everybody else as it was. It's like, let's take you the most rebellious person here. Make an the example. Worst and, and yep. knock them down and show, and show the rest of them what happens to you if you don't toe the line and yeah. do what you're supposed to do also we get a very nice a very short very nice cameo from the author oh yeah i forgot smacking about that. off red in the back of her head <laughs> um because she great. wouldn't point at janine and mm -hmm. say it was her fault yeah that was awesome i think uh <laughs> oh hi margaret yeah <laughs> i uh one of the most important uh things in that scene when they're you know sort of be sort of supposed to be asleep and Janine is freaking out, and June at this moment is like sort of on the verge of freaking out, and Moira was like, no, if you want to survive, if you want to see your daughter again, you have to keep your fucking shit together, and uh, I think it was just like, that's really good advice, <laughs> like if you just want to, you need to keep going, you need to survive, you just need to keep your shit together. And that's why she's enduring, for mm -hmm. sure, I think that that's so smart. Yeah, absolutely. I probably couldn't, but <laughs> more power to offer it. <laughs> 
And then what's interesting is in this episode, this first episode, there's a lot of things in this first episode, y'all. Um, <laughs> huge amounts. Huge yeah. amounts of material in this first episode is we get to what's called the salvaging. And uh, so at the salvaging, everyone's gathered. And then they sort of gossip. And then Janine was like, oh, well, he was dead. Super casually. See, Janine is pregnant, has a big old belly. And um, I think the set's off for it off because then the... Aunt Lydia comes out with this man, quote, unquote, convicted of rape, because who knows, they could say whatever they want, um, sentenced to death, um, and they form a circle around him and perform what is called a really great word that Margaret Atwood invented called a participation, drawn from the word participate and execution. And it's such a awful concept and it's <laughs> <laughs> but brilliant so yeah it's it, it's such a brilliant um device that this uh this regime is using because you see offer just at a boil like she's about to boil over and what is the perfect opportunity to take her rage out she's not going to go find a gun and try to shoot up her household she gets to take it out on this person. And that's exactly what the regime wants, mm -hmm. is to take all this anger and uh, uh, frustration and all of those feelings, and they, get, they give them an outlet for it. And I'm just like, that is so, that's so wicked. That's so evil that they yes. would think of that to that depth. They've really thought about um, the human psyche and how to control the human psyche, which I think is really important in this show. I wonder if she hadn't tipped, um, well, basically tipped over because of what she found out about Moira, how that would have affected her during the salvaging. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I did wonder that. Yeah. I didn't know if, you know. Because she does deal the first blow. Right. She could be and on the outside of the circle, sort of pretending. Right. Ooh, and I, I definitely was not expecting that because, you know, she's, to me, they're, well, they're all innocent, but of course, I'm like, my heart goes out for her, out to her. So I was thinking, I was like, I wonder if she wasn't so upset in that moment, if, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And then so we get a flashback after that, that um, in the life before, Alfred finds out that she's pregnant. And um, they talk a little bit more about the infertility crisis, how everyone's been having miscarriages, like what you said, Kay, and not having healthy babies. And... Um, after this whole thing, I feel like it's cracked something open into her. And so Alf Glenn, played by Alexis Bledel, who's a fantastic actor in the series, sort of reveals her true nature. And then they sort of begin their true friendship here. And they become less than like partners who are spying on each other. And they really start opening up to each other. And you find out more about them. The fact that um, uh, Alf Glenn reveals she had a wife and son and that they were all red tagged. And uh, then you get sort of the bombshell that ends the episode of uh, Of Glenn, Alexis Bledel warning her that there's an eye in her house. There's a spy, and it's most likely Nick. And uh, and then she tells uh, us, you know, she her name is June, and she's now like feels like she can't trust anybody mm -hmm. except for Of Glenn. Um, and June is actually a really interesting, I was reading that June is never mentioned in any of the books, but most yeah. people have just like assumed that's kind of her name over the years of like the canon of the book. So they've adapted that. Um, and then we get to episode two, birthday. Um, and again, we open with the ceremony and like offered stream of consciousness where she was like, oh, the ceiling is blue. And 
house of blue diamond like she's just like going on this <laughs> mental journey because there's you know trying to distract herself um and then a little more you know their routine handmaids hanging out um at the wall um and then on their private walk together with Offlin and Off Warren, uh, she we reveal, um, we learn that uh, June used to live in Brookline. She was an assistant book editor. Um, Emily, Alexis Bledel's character, uh, was a lecturer in cellular biology uh, from Missoula, Montana. And uh, we get a little piece that all the professors were rounded up and sent to the colonies, but because she had born a son before that she was deemed that that was more important. So she became uh, red tagged a handmaid. Mm -hmm. And we get a little scene of a, a cathedral being torn down. It was St. Paul's. And she says how she knows that St. Patrick's in New York city was torn down. So a lot of these historical sites, like what I was saying before, like it's not just Catholic, it's not just religious. It's what they, pr what they believe and everything else just gets torn down after that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that happened um, recently in recent years when um, ISIS and uh, religious extremists were mm -hmm. uh, destroying mm -hmm. these thousands and thousands of year old monuments in the Middle East, um, really for kind of the same purpose, to erase and so that they can rebuild sort of what they feel is like in their own image of what they believe. I thought that was very clever of them to build a lot of that stuff, a lot of things that are happening happening currently into the show like right that. yeah i agree that was the first thing that crossed my crossed my mind was mm -hmm. oh that's like what going on now because <laughs> they don't in fact talk about that that much in the book they so don't. that was clearly a, a conscious decision on the writer's part to build some of that in right i think it's show also the parallels. absolutely i think it's also a testament to margaret atwood's writing that she's built this world so much in the book that they're able to read between the lines and they're like okay mm -hmm. what would this regime do and this is what they would do and so in the show when you see it play out you're like yeah so that would make sense this is like the evilest regime on earth like this is what <laughs> they would do <laughs> um and she reveals, she doesn't say Mayday, but the network of information of sort of this resistance between handmaids and other people, um, we do find out later, is called Mayday. Um, and June talks about how Chicago is this battleground, Anchorage is the capital, and that Gilead only has two stars in the flag. So we're seeing that they did have a coup, but it's seeming like it's kind of small and very controlled and that they're still in the midst of um, trying to gain more ground. So there's still, I think, an outside political and militaristic battle happening that, in the book they also talk about, though, they're like, oh, yeah, and on the front lines, they would kill some more rebels, and they would yeah, celebrate there's it. Yeah, there's a war. Yeah, yeah there's definitely a war raging on mm -hmm. still. Um, Nick then warns Offred of Ofglen. So Ofglen warns her of Nick, mm -hmm. and Nick warns her of Ofglen, uh, saying she's dangerous. And we reveal that the commander wants to see Offred privately, oh. uh, <laughs> uh, which becomes um, a really big plot point for the entire rest of the series. Um, we get to the birthmobile, which they round all the handmaids up because someone is having a baby, and uh, the chance they have a little flashback, like chances for a healthy birth are like one in five in the world mm -hmm. before. Um, and this is this, this is the episode in conjunction with Janine's, um, having the baby is when, uh, June in her previous life had her baby Hannah mm -hmm. and.
they get to the house uh, the wives are having their ceremonial birthing which is super ridiculous so weird so very uncomfortable to watch (laughs) she's like just lying there like ow mm." and the wives are like breathe and we're like what the what in the world it's really bizarre, but it is that. Well, it's it's, a, yeah. it's the logical extension of the, exactly. of the ceremony. Mm-hmm. If Absolutely. you're one person with the baby going in, you're one, one person, person with the baby it. coming yeah. out. Yeah. Um. Then uh, the, all the handmaids are present in the room, sort of like emotional support slash again ceremonial, having them all there. Uh, and then we cut back to Hannah's birth at the hospital and, uh, you know, this healthy, perfectly healthy baby girl and sort of this miracle. And they go to the nursery and she was like, well, where are all the babies? And we're like, oh, shit, like this is serious. <laughs> this infertility infertility crisis is serious. She was like, yeah, they're in ICU and the others are with God. And like Hannah's the only baby in there. And you go to any maternity ward, I mean, I haven't since, you know, my niece was born like 10 years ago, but, uh, you know, it's normally pretty full. It's pretty popping, pretty popping babies. <laughs> <laughs> and to see, I think, the stark contrast of what we assume would be a uh, very full and busy nursery is just really starkly empty, I think really gets to, you know, why people are so motivated to have these children and will do at any cost in order to have these children. Um, Alfred uh, has a scene with the wives, which I didn't get at first, which someone explained to me last season on the podcast when like the wives are like chit-chatting and she offers her the cookie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's kind of awkward. But then what someone was saying was that, she's oh, it's a lot of junk food. Yeah, it's right. like a, it's a power struggle. Cause she was like, oh, honey, you want a cookie? Like she's a child. And I was like, mm-hmm. honey, she's a grown ass woman. And you're actually treating her like that. And I was like, okay, I get that. I get that. Because then she like spits up the cookie. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of her own little moment of like defiance or like having a moment of dignity. Instead of being in front of these women, they're all like, oh, sweetie. Well, you know, most of them are not very smart. You take what you can get. Like, it, like really, like they're, they're, like they're not people. Right. So that was really interesting. Uh, oh, then we get to the actual birth and the handmaids are all sort of these collective midwives telling her to push and to breathe. And then the wife comes in for like the ceremonial birthing, like they're one person. Uh, and Janine has the baby and it's a healthy baby girl and it's immediately given to the wife. Mm-hmm. There's like no, you know, no emotion or love loss between who just actually had the child and who the child belongs to. Yeah. Um, and I, and I love that scene watching it again, this contrast of this like happiness and joy, like, Oh my gosh, this is a miracle. There's a baby is born and it's healthy and it's awesome. And then to have that baby immediately ripped from Janine to be given to the wife and it's immediate, like, sadness and sort of despair mm-hmm. and they like all come and collectively hug her which is like one of my favorite favorite images in the show which i think reed morano does a really great job and the cinematography um really great job of of giving us these very clear images you know all the handmaids in their red dresses and their white um bonnets all just forming a circle around her and like giving their giving her their support that was really sweet but yeah there's just that for sure yeah. Happy, happy and sad in that scene, which I think is really potent. I couldn't imagine. I know it's awful. I mean, I don't have children. I mean, I have a cat. I don't. But, 
that's pretty close. I could imagine, you know, if someone watching this who have children, <clears throat> I mean, that must be really, you know, that they don't. This show doesn't hide anything. They don't sugarcoat anything. Right. So I think that's definitely what they were trying to get at. Which I mean, I, granted, it's sad. I do appreciate the honesty mm-hmm. in the show, but again, I could not imagine having a child and instantly that child that I formed a bond with Mm -hmm. on my own, you know. Nine months is a long time. (laughs) It's not mine. I have no connection. Well, the connection has to be stripped away. Yeah. Well, Um, I mean, essentially it's just an adoption. Right. Um, Forced one. Yeah. Yes. Well, one argues forced. Mm -hmm. Um, Janine could have decided that she didn't want to be a handmaid and do this. Right. She'd have been sent elsewhere with her one eye. That's true. Um, <laughs> That's and she'd probably true. be dead at this point. Yeah. But people made that decision yeah. that, they, that they were going to do it. So um, she has a home and uh, and food and good medical care. She's alive. To make sure that that mm-hmm. baby mm-hmm. Um, Not lived and, and was healthy. <laughs> Treat her nicely. She yeah. eats they, whatever. Well, as nicely as well, you can treat somebody who's in your house to be ritually raped every month. Yeah, right. Um, but you know, she's she's got a pretty decent life on the face of it, right. anyway. Um, and she gives the baby up like most people who have a baby adopted at birth mm-hmm. do. The weird thing is that they leave her there in the house for the next X number of months to nurse, to, to nurse, to nurse the, baby the baby until the baby's weaned and then send her away. Um, that part is, uh, yeah. is I think torturous. That's, that, that's definitely cruel for sure. <clears throat> so we have the parallel storyline of, of this whole birthing ceremony. And we go back to in June, uh, gets her baby literally stolen from the hospital and we see this poor woman and you can't you're like oh my gosh that's awful but to see the state of the woman who stole the baby is in it's definitely this like psychotic break this ptsd Mm -hmm. um and you wonder you're like this is not an isolated incident i'm sure this is this is a danger that probably happens to lots of new mothers who had trouble uh with uh their labor and and their babies because they also mention at some point that even if baby is born sometimes in the first few days they they also just pass away and so you can see the the utter i can't find the word now but you can see the the this woman is super convinced that this baby is hers and so Mm -hmm. we're like okay this is not this is not done out of maliciousness this woman is obviously having an episode and so to see that was uh, really uh, shocking because I think that does happen and we just don't talk about it because it's not very common. Um, and I'm sure in this world it's, co- it's come to be kind of a danger. Um, and then we go to uh, Janine nursing the baby, so what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like a, such a sweet moment, and you see that she's very connected to the to the baby, and this is definitely going to be something uh, we uh, we're going to have to contend with in the later episodes. Um, it's not then, fair. yeah, it's not fair. 
we get to um, offer it in the commander's study, and she doesn't know what she wants them for, and so she's terrified for her life. And uh, he says, oh, well, we just bend the rules in here, and they just play Scrabble. And you're like, okay. Totally just wants to play, Just wants to play Scrabble. And they sort of develop this witty banter. And this is the starts the relationship of them meeting up in their study to play these games. And then it evolves from there, obviously. Um, and she kind of gets this, gleans some information about the commander going to D.C. And Alfred uh, is like, oh, I'm going to take this to Alfred. She's going to be so happy. Like, I wasn't going to be part of the resistance, but like... Like, after everything I've seen, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to tell her this information. And, oh, fuck. It's not a Klexus Bledel. <laughs> that is... got me. I'm not going to lie. I was oh, like, shit. oh, shit. <laughs> that probably is what reeled me in, personally. Because, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I said, prior to the award show, I was like, okay, what, what is this? Mm-hmm. What, are, I, what are these red dresses and bonnets? And when that happened, I was like, bet, I'm watching it. Yeah. Like, we got I was to find in, out what happens. I, yeah. I really thought they killed her. Well, yeah. and, she's, and she's absolutely right, the, the new Alkalan. That's the reason that they have the names that they have. They are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You are of a... whoever your commander is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, where's Alkalan? I am Alkalan. I am Alkalan. Oh. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't trust anyone again. Yeah. Wasn't her feeling. last line like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that was exactly her last <laughs> I literally, line. in my mind, I was like, girl, I'm with you. I don't know where she went. Um, so we get to episode three, uh, which we find out a lot about what happened in the world before. Um, and it's called Late. And we find out what did happen to Offland slash Emily slash Alexis Bledel. Um, and she <laughs> was found out to um, be in a relationship with Martha. Um, and she is part of May Day, and so I thought that's at first, like, oh, they found her out. Um, but it is really about that same-sex relationship that she had. And so uh, June says something really interesting, one of my favorite quotes from the show. Um, and she opens with, okay, now I'm awake to the world. I was asleep before. Uh, that's how we let it happen. When they slaughtered Congress, we didn't wake up. When they blamed terrorists and suspended the Constitution, we didn't wake up then either. Nothing changes instantaneously. In a gradually heating bathtub, you'd be boiled to death before you know it. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of my favorite quotes in the entire series because it's so true about any, any place in Anything, the world. Yeah. And how we've given up certain freedoms and securities for what we believe is the greater good in order to defeat the bad guys and then we don't know where the line gets crossed from where we give up so much that then we can't take control back and all of the control is taken away from us um which before the show the years previous we've had to contend with nsa and uh wikileaks and all of those sorts of things and so that's kind of present in our world and uh surveillance um like places like london is very heavily surveilled i Mm -hmm. just listened to a story recently about um, you know, how they really track people and they think, oh, I think this person, you know, is in with these sort of people and they literally just follow them around on the camera, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, well, there's cameras on every corner. Yeah. Literally. And so you can, in fact, 
watch somebody go from their house across town, track the car with the license plate number across town to where they stopped to get their lunch before they went to work or whatever, and and just watch them Mm -hmm. all the way across the city. And uh, someone in London, uh, you know, a, a citizen of London was saying, you know, they're, they've become so ubiquitous that, you know, at first you're like really uncomfortable, but it becomes one of those things, those ways of life. And you're there like, you don't even think about it. And uh, so I think that's definitely something we wrestle with nowadays about when is giving up too much, too much. And uh, when do we cross those lines? So it's a really difficult question to answer. And uh, so I really... That's one of my favorite things uh, that they say in the series is that particular quote. It's just such a, it's such a warning cry for, you know, what can happen when you're not paying attention. And I feel nowadays more and more people, you know, I feel want to pay attention because there's so much that's happening. And if you're not, it just really slips you by. Yeah. Uh, so we get to uh, when June and uh, Moira are like running and then there's a woman that like looks at her really weird and you're like, what the hell is that about? And then they get to the cafe and the guy calls them fucking sluts and throws them out of the shop. And they're like, what in the world? Like, you know, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, I'm, you're going to fucking get fired. I'm going <laughs> to make sure you get fired. And, you know, that would never, I wouldn't say it never happens, but it is shocking because you're like, who would, what, what customer service person would say that? No one, no one yeah. at all. And he had the confidence to say it. And her card is suspended or declined, and uh, she gets to work, and all the women are let go from work because it's the law now. And uh, they go out, and there's just so many people with guns out on the streets in tanks escorting all the women out, and they're like, why is the army here? And they're like, that's not the army. And so martial law, apparently, you know, they slaughtered Congress, so, you know, something happened. And so they declared martial law and they suspended the Constitution. And so they can sort of pass laws without Congress. And so this law happened and all of a sudden they're, they're doing it. And uh, the boss, you can see, is obviously terrified. It was like, there's nothing I can do. They're forcing me. This is what I have to do. Um, and uh, back into... Uh, the Gilead story, Alfred's period is late and everyone's being like super nice to her. <laughs> like fresh cut flowers and dessert. I was literally rolling my eyes the yeah. whole time. I was like, ugh, don't give her that. Like <laughs> you were just a jerk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Serena Joy is obviously like super excited, the prospect of having a baby. Um, uh, they visit Angela, uh, the baby Angela, Commander, uh, at Commander Putnam's house and uh, Janine it mrs putnam <laughs> uh and janine personally named the baby charlotte mm-hmm. and you're like that's not good and then she tells june that she's convinced that commander putnam is in love with her they're in love and they're gonna run away together and you're like oh this is really not good so you don't know how much of that is true but obviously we're dealing with one-eyed janine so uh she knows she's like not holding it together and uh, Serena Joy sort of has this very empathetic, commiserating moment with Alfred. She's like, yeah, the situation is, like, really not ideal for anybody, but we just, like, have to be strong. And you're like, this is, like, such a different person than the person she was before. Um, and then she gets back to the house, and, like, the eyes and Aunt Lydia are there, and we're like, oh, crap. Um, 
we cut back to uh, before Gilead, and uh, we find out uh, that the bank accounts and uh, jobs were all fro uh, taken away at the same time. So it kept people there because you take someone's jobs away and they uh, think something's wrong, then they're going to try to get away and mm -hmm. they still have resources to do it. Um, martial law since D.C. So there's an incident in D.C. And uh, Moira says she's organizing a march, which we get to at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. And there's this uh, really <coughs> interesting scene that I like in this episode about Moira and Luke is there and uh, June. And Moira's sort of railing against the patriarchy because Luke's natural instinct for his wife is to be like, oh, I'll take care of you, like, you know, to make your wanter to feel safe. And so Moira's sort of having an obligation <coughs> to that. And I think we all have those conversations today also about what it is, you know, men, um, their roles in relationships and their roles as, you know, either providers or as uh, emotional supporters and sort of that conversation. And then at the end of the scene, he was like, you want me to walk you to the station? She was like, yeah, fuck yeah. This is dangerous. Yeah. I need some backup. <clears throat> so it is that dichotomy. I think that, that that's something we also wrestle with in our day-to-day, day-to-day um, present as women too. Can I just say that one thing that, well, we don't really know this um, in the book, but one thing that, that struck me very viscerally with the television show is the inclusion of people of color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Um, <laughs> I agree with that. Yes. In the book. <sighs> they're in the same category as everyone else. They yeah. were definitely either sent I, away. I actually or... was going to ask about that they, they since you're well-versed on the book. They sent them off. Mm -hmm. They did. Um, because, and this isn't, categorically stated but the idea is if you are producing babies for the elite the elite are white and therefore they are going to want little white babies mm -hmm. um so seeing non-white children among those kids at the school mm -hmm. and non-white handmaids who would of course produce non-white or at least partially only partially white um, children for the commanders um, and Luke's being non-white which he was not in the book mm -hmm. was um, visceral it was, it was very different and so it was like oh wow okay how desperate it also sort of under, underscored for me how desperate things yeah. had to be yeah. that people were like, we, we will take any healthy baby <laughs> we can get. We don't care what color it is as long as it is healthy. I also wondered that too. And I feel it might've been part of what the showrunners and writers, you know, consciously creating a diverse cast mm -hmm. and that that took priority over having the storyline of um, having sort of this white supremacist, essentially, um, kind of emphasis. And I agree with you that, you know, they are so desperate that it doesn't really matter. And I believe I was reading an article that they're, they're, the writers are going to address that in season two and just at least talk about it because mm -hmm. it was a, one of the larger criticisms of the show. And mm -hmm. I feel we they go to, into so many issues in this show that it was maybe sort of one layer that they thought was, like, too much. I don't know. 
that may have been my personal feeling. Not that um, race is uh, an irrelevant layer and layer, uh, topic, especially in these regimes, of how they would deal with that. Because I was also watching in the background, and a lot of the um, the guards, the guardians, they call mm-hmm. them, some of those were people of color, too. Mm-hmm. So uh, it really isn't, like, it's across the strata, except for the elite. So I think they, they are going to address that in, in season two in some way. And I always, Ooh. that was a large criticism of this show, is why they didn't talk about that issue in particular. Because they could have at least said something about it um about that direction that they took and instead they were very um mute about it like it was just part of the world oh and mara mara wasn't yeah wasn't exactly black in the book Mm -hmm. either so yeah so i wonder i do wonder that i think that the showrunners consciously were just like well we want to have a diverse cast so we're just not going to go in that direction which is a possibility yeah i still think it's good yeah and I think it's also reflective of our of our day to day, also. Exactly. Right. No, I'm not saying it was a good thing or a bad thing. Just yeah. that it was not something that I was necessarily expecting. Yeah. And it adds another layer to things to not just have everybody who is not white rounded up and sent off to the colonies. Right. Um. So, unless one assumes, because. And they didn't, maybe they'll talk about this more in season two. They allude to it slightly in this one. There's a, a, a socioeconomic status below which they more or less leave you alone. Right. Right. Um, yeah, we do get to see some of those people early in the regime. And I think um, like some of the guards and stuff, if they have, you know, a certain ranking, then they get awarded a wife. Mm-hmm. They get assigned a wife. And then... Um, if they don't get, if like there's an overflow of handmaids, um, you know, someone in the lower class, lower classes than the elites can sort of participate in that system. But it's really mainly reserved for the preservation of the elites, the handmaids. Um, I believe that's in, in the book is, is what they uh, say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of my least favorite scenes in this entire series, which is super hard to watch, is uh, Avglen Emily's trial, quote oh. unquote. And uh, they accuse her of gender treachery. And uh, the what they sentence her against or judge her against is uh, scripture. Um, so there's no loss. There's scripture. And that's what they judge her. And the Martha is sentenced to death. And Avglen is sentenced to, like, redemption, which is really, like, she's going to be re re-matriculated to be a handmaid for somebody else because they talk about how she's that's more valuable than her them punishing her um and uh oh they punish her they definitely well, yeah. do i was gonna say her yeah. punishment was worse yeah <laughs> um then we get back to nick and offred and um so this scene in episode three late in episode three is like the beginning of sort of Nick's and Nick and Alfred's like deeper relationship. You see the chemistry between them and the chemistry between them is incredible. Also, cause I love him. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and then Alfred gets her period and that's not good because she's being treated so nice. Um, and she, and I think it's difficult for her to too, because I don't think that she wanted to be pregnant, but then she started to becoming like, I don't want to be not pregnant. Right. Um, I felt bad for her. Yeah. 
the, well, the she's on her second house. I think there's a, a a limit to the number of of placements that you're allowed before they declare yes. you an unwoman and set you I, send you off. I Isn't it three? three? Yeah, I you're think right. it's three. three, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I realized that too. Yeah, but um, my thing is, I have one quick question. Yeah. Um, how many times do they allow you to try? Oh, like a length of time? I think it's probably like a year. Is it a year? Might be a year. Okay. I think she got transferred early because... uh, No, I don't think she did get transferred early. She was in the last place for close to to a year. Probably, yeah. Um, From what little discussion she and Serena have Mm -hmm. towards the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And there just happened to be a spot available because... um, their, old their hand last handmaid hand took the, yeah. took the <laughs> shortened, her, name was shortened her tenure. Right. Might have been. Um, yeah. Uh, so we get to the march in um, pre-Gilead, and it gets really violent real quick. And uh, it becomes very evident that this is, like, not the government we know. And so all the setup they've had until this point is, like, the martial law, and they've taken jobs away, and there's these crazy laws, and you're like, okay, this is definitely... And not the U.S. government as we know it. And I think uh, what's important is, because when this show came out, I think the Women's March was like shortly just before it. And so that was really present in people's minds and how we have in our Constitution the right to free speech and to gather and to protest and uh, to peacefully protest. And uh, here, you know, it just looks like a march like any other. And then all of a sudden it turns. And you're like, oh, that's really fucking scary. Yeah. Who in the world, who in the right mind would go out into the streets and protest anything if they knew that they were going to get shot at? And even in our own U.S. history, that has happened, mm-hmm. you know, especially yeah. in um, the civil rights era. It was uh, people Kent peacefully. State. Yeah, it's the uh, people peacefully gathering, but um, the government uh, retaliated against people. And so that while the riots, sorry, exactly the riots mm-hmm. here, like what if mm-hmm. the government retaliated you know um so and it was i don't know i at least the riots i saw they were all young people mm-hmm. and that'd be horrible right. if all, and when i say young people i mean like minors mm-hmm. were on the streets um i would hate to see the government retaliate to children Absolutely. essentially just you know speaking up and i think it is very apt and that we think it's so shocking because we're americans mm-hmm. and uh we live in a democratic society no matter how flawed and uh those breaks it can happen where um things can get violent when they're not supposed to where we're guaranteed our safety when we peacefully protest however i mean you think about uh many countries across the world where this is this is definitely a constant reality and people risk their lives in order to resist and it's something that we don't necessarily have in the forefront of our minds always um so while it's shocking, certainly to me, it's always, you know, well, this does happen even today, um, that there are nations where this would definitely occur if there was a huge, you know, protest of some sort. I think that was definitely one of the things that was most noticeable about this scene was there was definitely an expectation on the part of the protesters yes. that they were going to be allowed to protest. 
Um, we are out here peacefully. We have our signs. We probably have our permits or whatever, and we are out here, and this is what we're going to do. And they, there was an expectation that that was what they were going to be allowed to do. And when people started shooting at them, there was literally this shock on mm -hmm. people's faces. Like, wait, are people shooting at us? Yeah. Before they actually got scared. Because it was initially like, wait, that, like a what? They, can't, they can't possibly be shooting at us. Yeah. Why would they be shooting at It's got to be some sort of a mistake. Why would they shoot us? We're not doing anything. Um, Meanwhile, I would have been like... <laughs> oh, get out! Yeah, get out of there. And then there's for, there <clears throat> were explosives. I, I mean, know, they got that, serious. Got me. Yeah, they got serious. Yeah, it's um, funny. It's funny you mentioned that. I didn't think about it at the time, but thinking about it now, I do remember seeing shocked faces, but it didn't click too much. Mm -hmm. That yeah, totally makes sense. It's like, what what are you doing? I thought you said that's like when I don't know, like when a, a parent tells a kid they can have candy one night after dinner mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they say no and they're like what i'm but you said but you just <laughs> let me you just said made it seem like this was the expectation right so yeah um that's definitely i think a clear indicator about who we're dealing with i think the first three episodes really do a good job about who the hell are we dealing with here and that this is not something that you can easily circumvent because they have many ways and avenues they've thought about this very deeply <laughs> and they've executed this plan very thoughtfully in efficiency in a way that the people who are under their purview it's very very difficult for people to um not only escape but to um not to, being forced to prescribe to what they have to they said that they have to do you know to do the ceremony and all these things um, and then we get back to Alfred and Serena and Serena's already like planning the nursery mm. and Alfred has to tell her that like, she's not pregnant. And then like the switch turns and you're like, oh, that's the Serena joy we know and love <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> confines her to her room, smashes her on the floor. And you're like, okay, these are your true colors that Serena doesn't give anything for free. Yeah. I wasn't too surprised by that mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Like. Granted, I didn't see that all coming, but I wasn't surprised that she completely was like, yeah, Her no. Her primary focus is on getting a baby, a baby out of this person. Yep. So she could care less about the vessel as long as the vessel is not getting cracked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do not electrocute my vessel because, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. you know, that will keep her from being able to have yeah. a child. Yeah. Um, oh, I think I skipped that part. But anyway, um, yeah. That part where uh, she gets electrocuted and sort of beaten up by Aunt Lydia, oh, she yeah. gets questioned Ooh. by one of the eyes, who I think is like the weirdest. That's like, weird. Federal investigator <laughs> ever. You, He's uh, just like so, like yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah. is there anything you don't want to tell us anything about? No. No. Yeah. Um, and they call uh, Alexis Waddell Offlin a gender traitor, um, and the word gay is forbidden. Gender traitor. I think that's a very. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the word is. Telling. I, li I like it. Like, not the concept, obviously, of why they have changed the name. But I, I don't know. It's very, very well put. I get it. You yeah. know what I mean? You know what their point of view is. Right. Yeah. Um, and then so she gets beaten. So that's definitely what you were referring to. I skipped right. over yeah. that scene. Yeah. Um, and then we get to, I think, uh, what people commonly tell me is one of their most shocking uh moments in the show is uh Ovglin's, um 
uh, female genital mutilation because she was like, oh, well, you don't need that part. No, you're cured. You can just have babies. You don't need sexual desire. And we're like, holy yeah. shit. Again, very apt. Like, these things still happen. And it's it's crazy. Um, in I think audio that I sent you, I was I mentioned it when I studied anthropology for a while and how in different countries, if you disobey laws, um, any laws, not just sexual ones, but in particular, sexual um, restrictions, female circumcision comes into play. Wow. And like, as a punishment. That's a punishment. Jesus. And it doesn't matter how old you are, it, anything. And you can be circumcised for up to, I don't even know, I can't remember how long, but basically that it's just crazy to me. And yeah. even in some families, like they do it if, if the child hasn't even done anything. Right. Just to, you know, make sure they abide by all the rules. And right. that's, yeah, that's in that moment. That's exactly what I thought of. It's the norm. Yeah. In a lot of places. Yeah. And cultures. Yeah. That they're trying to change for sure. Well, again, that's a huge chunk of getting us into this world episodes one through three. And I think uh, when people first watch the series and they get to the first three episodes, they're like, I don't know if I want to watch anymore. <laughs> and I'm always like, no, 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 keep watching, keep watching. Because the intensity of the first three episodes you need, and then I, I feel yeah. it eases up and it lifts after that. I it think does. episodes like four through six or seven is like a lot of interpersonal stuff, a lot of psychological stuff and power dynamics between people and less about these really shocking moments. Um, yeah, there are light moments. Yeah. Like Scrabble and Nick and June and yeah. when we finally see Luke again. Yes. Ugh. Luke. Um, O.C. Fagmental is a great actor in this series and he's such a great addition. I'm, I'm really, really happy that they, they have him in this show. It's really like the great, like a great tone of like a, this male figure. It's like mm. very, um, like real character that he brings to the forefront. I agree. Um, so yeah, so that is a recap of episode one through three. It's a lot, but I uh, hope that gets you introduced to all this terminology, reintroduced to a lot of things that happened, and keep listening for recaps for the rest of season one and uh, before we start recording season two. So I want to thank so much for uh, Yunisa and uh, Kay for joining me today, and we'll see you Our next pleasure. time. No problem. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Handmaid's Podcast. My name is Donna Bali, and I am your host and producer. Thanks to Eunissa Cruz-Ferguson and Kay Megan Washington for joining me on this episode. Follow us on Facebook at The Handmaid's Podcast. Send us your questions, comments, and what you want us to talk about for Season 2. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.